lives when we do that. When we stop trying to run the show ourselves and we realize, you know, <clears throat> listen, God is in charge. Uh, he's in control. It's he, he's God and we're not. Um, that leads us to a healthy submission, the place where we say, not my will but thine. You're in charge. It's your, it's your world. You're my God and I'm not God in it. And the second law we looked at last week was um, the fact that God doesn't need us, but we desperately need him. And that's not a very palatable uh, thought for us in the 21st century. <clears throat> you know, we, God doesn't need us, but uh, we desperately need him. One of the songs we just sang, uh, it, it was written with the words, would he devote for, for, for such a worm, would my Savior die for such a worm as I? But you know, the words have been changed over the years to sinners such as I. And here's the problem. The problem is we don't like the idea. We're not worms. We're not worms. We're people. You know, we have power, and we've got to realize, no, listen, you know, the truth is, he doesn't need us, but we desperately need him. See, when we get to the place where we see that we are, our, our, de- our need is desperate, and we see our weakness, then we cling to him. Then we come to him, and we lean on him, and we cling to him, and we, we come to him for his power, and, and we're, in the, we're in the right place. Now, those two laws set us up for the third law, right? <clears throat> And the third law is this. Um, What God demands, he supplies. What God demands, he supplies. And that's a principle that we're going to find again and again in life. God never asks anything of you without supplying the way to do it. Oftentimes, though, you're never going to know the supply if you won't obey the command or the demand. But when God asks something of you, he's always going to supply uh, the ability uh, to do it. That is good news. This is the heart of the gospel. God is going to demand things of you all your Christian life and ask things of you. But then what you're going to find is that he's going to supply the need. He's going to actually take care of it. He's going to meet your need. Let, let me give you some verses that will be a help to you. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is dealing with the issue of uh, giving. Paul is talking about the offering for the saints of Jerusalem. And so it's dealing with the issue of giving. And, you know, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 9, we find that, that, that passage that he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully. Uh, and then God loves a cheerful giver. And then he gives you a principle in, in, in verse 8. Now, the principle that we find in... Uh, verse 8, is much broader than financial giving. Now, we base our faith promise giving. We're going to give and God's going to supply our need from it. But it's much broader than this. Let's, let's look at it. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now, listen, there's a lot of alls in there, isn't there? God is able to make all grace, all supernaturally enabling, abound towards you. That's a lot of it. He's, he's, able to, he's able to actually give you all that you need, that you can be, have all sufficiency in all things, and you can abound to every good work. God is able to do that. But you know who's supplying it here? God is supplying it. God is supplying the need. Reading in Second Chronicles chapter twenty, or sorry, First Chronicles twenty-nine this morning. Don't, don't turn there, but uh, I was reading there this morning actually in my devotions. And David is listing all the things uh, that, he's, that he's put aside for the temple. Right? And, he, and he's talking about the silver, and he's talking about the gold, and he's talking about the bronze, and he's talking about the, uh, all, all that he has set aside. For, and, you know, it's just, it's just an enormous amount of, 
uh, of stuff that has been set aside for the building of the temple under, under Solomon. And then he says in, in, in 29 verse 14, he, he says this, and this is free translation, right? He says, but what am I talking about, Lord? You gave it all to us anyway. We're just giving you back what's yours. And, and so what he's recognizing is all that he's giving, God has given to him first. So that God, had, God wanted a temple, and he wanted David to give for the temple. So God gave to David first, and David gave to the temple. That's the way it always works. God always gives to us. He enables us to do everything that he asks us to do of him. That's, that's the way it works with God. Now, look at Romans 10, 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, Romans chapter 10 is dealing with Israel and dealing with the righteousness of Israel. And, you know, Paul is frustrated with them because he says they've gone about to seek their own righteousness, not the righteousness that is of God. And then he says this, he says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, if you were a good, honest Jew, you spent your whole life trying to be righteous. Your whole life was bound by, by an innumerable number of laws that you had to keep and that you were, you were always second-guessing yourself and questioning yourself and going to the rabbi and asking him, was this okay? And, you know, you were always trying to be righteous. You were, you were trying to get the sacrifices right. You were trying to make the feast days right. You were trying to do all of that. And Paul says, but you know what? Christ is the end of all that. He is our righteousness. So here's what you've got. God demands righteousness from his people, and then he supplies it in Christ. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible. Um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1, 26-30. For you see your calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Right? You know, listen, uh, in order for you to be saved, you had to recognize how foolish you were. That's kind of hard for us, isn't it? But we, we had to recognize how foolish we were. That's not the point of what we're saying here, though. Uh, and the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Right? Now, listen, are we wise in ourselves? No, but you know what? God gave us wisdom. Are we righteous in ourselves? No, we're not. But Christ was made our righteousness. Are we sanctified, set apart holiness? No. But Christ was made our sanctification. Are, are, Are we able to redeem ourselves, to buy ourselves back? No. But Christ was made our redemption. You see, here's what you've got. You've got this picture all through the Bible that what you've got is you've got God demanding of his people and then providing for them, supplying the need. That's what God does. And we need to understand we are desperately needy. He is God and we are not God. But you know what? All that we need, he has supplied. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us today as we look to your word. Blessed Spirit of the living God, we know that we're on your territory and this is your work and your word that you want to apply to us. Lord, would you guard my mouth that only what you want said would be said. And would you take these people, Lord, and would you uh, take their ears and their hearts, Lord, and guide your truth. 
uh, to reach each heart as it needs to go. And oh, blessed Spirit of the living God, would you meet with us in mighty power as we look to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we'll look at a couple of Old Testament examples here uh, of how this all works out. Uh, the first <clears throat> illustration is Abraham offering Isaac. So Abraham was called to offer Isaac, and you'll remember the story. Abraham is, God has prepared him for it, brought him to the place where he was ready for it, and then God says to him, okay, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, your son, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to offer him a sacrifice for me. And amazingly to us, Abraham says, yes, Lord. And next, next morning he saddles up, he takes the, uh, the wood for the burnt offering, and he heads off to the mountain that God's going to show him. Uh, <laughs> along the way. God has asked something of him, and he's going to do it. And as they begin to go up the mountain, Isaac says to him, he says, okay, Dad, I mean, <clears throat> okay, I see the wood for the wood. I see where we're going, but I don't see the sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham obviously hasn't told him yet. And Abraham says something that's prophetic on two levels here. Sometimes what you find in the Old Testament is you find somebody saying, speaking something to the situation they're in right now and almost not realizing it, but they're speaking much further down the line. Abraham's going to speak of what's going to happen that day between him and Isaac, and he's going to speak of what's going to happen thousands of years later when Jesus is going to go to the cross. But he says this, he says, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. He says, God's going to provide. God is going to provide himself a lamb. Now, we know from the New Testament that Abraham understood that God was going to raise Isaac up, and that's not what was going to happen. But Abraham was sure that God would provide, that God would take care. God was asking something of him. God was asking something of him that was impossible. And it was impossible on two fronts. First of all, because he loved Isaac. And it was impossible on a second front because God had told him that through Isaac he was going to have a seed that was going to uh, cover the whole world in its size. It was impossible. And he knew God would provide. He knew that God would do it. And then they go up to the mountain, and, and, and we know the rest of the story. Uh, Abraham obviously explains to, to, to Isaac, and um, he, he binds him, he sets up the altar, he puts him on the altar, and as he has the knife ready to plunge into Isaac's breast, the angel from heaven says, Stop. Don't lay not your hand upon the lad. Don't do anything. And obviously God never intended for Isaac to die. It was a test for Abraham to see if Abraham would do it. But you know what happens then? Abraham turns around and he sees a ram caught in the thicket. God had provided a lamb. God had provided a sacrifice. And so Abraham takes the lamb and sacrifices the, uh, the ram instead of Isaac, his son. And then Abraham says this. He says... And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said uh, today, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now, here's what happened as far as Isaac was concerned. What happened was that, 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 that God provided, and then Abraham gives God a new name, Jehovah-Jireh. And the, the, the easy meaning of it would be God provides. That's one of the names of God for us. Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. Some of you have said it in a time of need. The Lord will provide. The Lord always provides what we need to serve Him. Always. 
You can depend upon him to do that. He's always going to provide what we need to serve him. Um, uh, then there's the illustration of the sacrificial system. <clears throat> Someone said that the Old Testament system was a very bloody religion. Think about it. You know, just think about that, that the Passover time, right? <clears throat> you know, if you have two and a half million people that came into the land, by now there's probably a whole lot more. But we'll say this. We'll say we have in Israel, um, <clears throat> you know, a, 250,000 families. Every one of them has got to provide a lamb for the Passover, and every lamb has got to be killed in the temple grounds. Can you imagine the amount of blood? And that was just one sacrifice. Can you imagine the work involved in the slaying and sacrificing of all those lambs? But every day, morning and evening, there were sacrifices. What you had in the Old Testament is you, you had all these sacrifices, but you know what all these sacrifices pointed to? They pointed to a better plan. They pointed all the time to God will provide a lamb. God will provide. And no Old Testament Jew got saved by sacrificing a lamb. What he got saved was by looking off to the lamb that was promised. He got saved by that, by believing, by believing he couldn't do it. And depending on the, on the provision of God. Very hazy for the Old Testament Jew. Much clearer for us. I'm so glad I live in the New Testament age. But, but you, you, you have all this, all this sacrifice, and it's pointing to a better plan. It's pointing to the fact that, listen, God's going to do something better. He's going to provide a lamb. He's going to provide uh, for the need of mankind. Uh, and then we have the New Testament fulfillment in Jesus. He is the Lamb sent from heaven. <clears throat> he is the Lamb, uh, the Lamb of God, the Lamb come down from heaven. Um, <clears throat> B, He is God's Lamb offered for sins. He is the Lamb that is offered for our sins. You see, you and I couldn't pay for our sins. If you could live to be a thousand years old, and if you could spend every day in your life trying to atone for one of your sins, you never could. You never could. But he is the lamb offered for sins. And then he is also <clears throat> God's lamb who rolls away the sins of the world. He took all of it on. He rolls all of it away. He dealt with all of it. <clears throat> you see, the, the Old Testament picture is fulfilled in what Jesus did. And here's the picture. The picture is, I want you to make these sacrifices because I want you to understand that I am going to provide a way for you. I am going to do something that is going to provide a way for you. I am going to provide a lamb that's going to take care of the problem for you. Because we had a need, but God was going to take care of it. I, um, God provides all that we need to meet his righteous demands. Always. He provides all that we need to meet his righteous demands. First of all, in salvation, you know, we couldn't save ourselves. It was impossible. The sin debt was too high, and we had nothing to pay with. So what did God do? God sent His Son. <clears throat> For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that almost too simple? Isn't that almost too simple? But you see, when we think it's simple, we don't understand the magnitude of the problem. We had a sin problem that we couldn't pay for. We had no ability to pay the debt of our sin. None. So you know what God did? 
God sent his son to die in our place. God sent his son to pay the price for our sin. There are two religions in the world. There's the, there's the, the religion of do, and there's the religion of done. The religion that says you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to do the other in order to be saved. And most religions are like that. You know, radical Islam says, you send your son to die for me. <coughs> but New Testament Bible faith says, uh, the God of the Bible says, I sent my son to die for you. It's a whole different thing completely. You see, there's nothing for us to do. He did it all. And by the way, Works-oriented people such as we are have a hard time actually unraveling that in our heads. We can come to the place <clears throat> you know, where, where we inject works into the system all along the way, where we make somehow the good things that we have done or we are doing are the reason why God loves us and the reason why God saves us. No, it's got nothing to do with your good works. It's got all to do with what Jesus did. You see, God provided for us. We had a need. We had a sin that we couldn't pay, and God provided the need for us. God met the need. God took care of it. And then our sanctification, our, our holiness. You know, it's amazing how we can do that one, how we can actually take, well, okay, I couldn't save myself, but now that I'm saved, I'm going to live holy and do it right. No, we can't. It's, it, 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 it's impossible. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. <clears throat> we couldn't do it. He did it all. He saved us. And having saved us then, what he did was he provided for our righteousness. The Bible says, As ye have, have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. We received him by faith, we find righteousness by faith. I can't be holy. What God did was God took and God made holiness available to me in Jesus. You see, Jesus was the sin bearer, but Jesus' righteousness is what makes me righteous before God. So that when I die and go to heaven, and I will, when I go to heaven, God's going to look at me and not see David or Gorman, sinner. He's going to see Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, cloaking David O'Gorman. And he's going to accept me based upon the sacrifice of his son. He's not going to accept me based upon the fact that I was 20 odd years in the ministry. He's not going to accept me based upon the fact that I had devotions every day. He's not going to accept me based on the fact that I witnessed. All those things may be good. He's going to accept me based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He provided all of it. See, we're back to the place where David was, and David's given all this thing to God, and he says, hang on a minute, what am I talking about? You gave it all to me in the first place, and I'm just giving it back to you. It all belongs to you. And you see, our salvation all belongs to God, and our righteousness all belongs to Him. In fact, there's nothing in our lives that doesn't belong to Him. What God demands of us God provides for. He supplies the need. Now, we have to understand that God does make demands on us. But what he demands of us, he always supplies the need for. God says, listen, <clears throat> no sin, nothing that defiles shall enter into my heaven. The standard is no sin in heaven. But I have provided through my Son to take away your sin. God says, I want you to be righteous. You're my children. I want you to live righteous. <clears throat> but, but he says too but I want you to understand that, uh, <clears throat> that I have provided for your righteousness in my son 
that I have met the need for righteousness in my son. Now, <clears throat> that's powerful truth. And we, we're going to spend the rest of our time uh, taking and applying it, right? <clears throat> but the fact is that everything God asks of you, he has provided for. He has met the need for. All right. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> in conclusion, it's a long conclusion, all right? <clears throat> so don't, don't, don't get happy too soon, all right? Uh, <clears throat> if God has provided all we need, then all we need to do is reach out and receive it. If God has provided all we need, then all we need to do is reach out and receive it. See, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, well, what do you need to do to be saved? Well, I have to get my life cleaned up. You'll never get your life cleaned up. You'll never get your life sorted out and straightened out on your own. It's impossible. You don't need to. God has provided all that you need. All you need to do is receive the gift. All you need to do is receive what he has done. <clears throat> yeah, we use the illustration of a Christmas present when we're talking to people about salvation. <clears throat> but you know, uh, if I give you a gift, you have to receive it. It's not yours. You don't pay for it. The gift is just to be received. You just receive it. You just say thank you. And that's essentially all you need to do as far as salvation is concerned. Thank you, Lord. You say, that's way too simple. <clears throat> All the other religions of the world would disagree with you. I know. I know. But you know what? <clears throat> Salvation was so important and so impossible for us that the only way we could receive it was by faith. Jesus had to pay the price for it. There was no other way to pay it. And what you need to do is <clears throat> recognize that your sin you can't pay for. Not if you lived for a thousand years. Not if you lived for a million years. You can't pay for it. But you don't have to. Jesus did. And you've got to receive it. And you know what you need to do to do that? You need to humble yourself to do that. And that's kind of the hardest part for us. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to... No, you're not. And if you're going to do it yourself, you know what? You can go and do it yourself, but you have to pay the price yourself. But if you will just humbly say, Lord, you paid the price for my sin and I'm receiving it. You'll be amazed at what will happen in your life. You'll be amazed at the mighty power that steps into your life. You'll be amazed at what God can do. You see, God can save you. <clears throat> Second thing, though, is about your righteousness. You don't need to do anything. As far as your righteousness, you say, hang on a minute, Pastor, what are, you, what are you saying? I can just live like the world. No, 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 don't, don't, don't get me wrong. The Bible says the sin shall not have dominion over you. Any sin in your life is totally unacceptable. And you say, how do you reconcile that then? I don't have to do anything. Here's the thing. Jesus paid the price for your sin, and Jesus has made provision for your righteousness. You need to receive it. You need to receive it. In men's Sunday school class, we talked about <clears throat> Joshua entering the land. And God gave Joshua this great promise. He said, Joshua... Um, <clears throat> Every place that the sole of your foot shall touch, that shall be yours. Now, you know, all Joshua had to do was go forth. All he had to do was march. Yeah, he was going to get in battles, but you know what? Nobody could defeat him in battles. God said they couldn't. You know, AI was different. AI, AI there was a problem with God. God wasn't in that one. But, you know, when Joshua went forth with the people, you know, all the ground that he touched, everything fell before him, and Joshua and the people were able to take all of it. But you know what Joshua didn't get? He never got any piece of land that his, the sole of his foot didn't touch. 
You see, God had given him the land, but he had to receive it. He had to, God has given you righteousness, but you have to receive it. Now, we're a very confused age as far as righteousness is concerned. We're confused about the need for it. And what we've got is we've got a gospel that's gotten skewed completely. And it said, you know what, I'm saved. I'm his child. I'm going to heaven. I don't need to be righteous. That's a foreign thought to the Bible. What the Bible does is the Bible said, listen, yes, I've saved you and I've allowed for your righteousness. Receive it. But just like Joshua, if you won't receive it, you won't say, yeah, that's me. And walk in that righteousness, what you're going to find is it's not there for you. But nobody here has righteousness of their own. It's a righteousness that we receive because of what Jesus did. It's provided for. You say, hang on a minute, Pastor, i got this problem in my life and I'm not sure I can, I can deal with it. You can't. You need to receive His righteousness. Bob says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And not my life anymore, it's his life. And, uh, it's, not, it's not what I can do anymore, it's what he has done. It's a new life. It's different. And you know what? The only, way you're going to, the only way you're going to see it is when you step out in righteousness. Which means what you've got to do is you've got to say in the sin in your life, I'm not accepting this anymore. God has provided something better for me and I want it. And, and, and you, you receive His righteousness. And you'll be amazed at how righteous He is and how righteous He can make you. <clears throat> Secondly, though, if we have experienced God's free grace then it would be natural to respond with gratitude and love. That, that would just be natural, wouldn't it? Listen, if He has freely given me all that I have and all that I need, it would be natural for me to respond with grace and love. In fact, if we actually take grace and love and follow on, what's, what's going to happen is it's going to, we're going to respond with worship. We're going to respond in a place where, you know what, listen, I've received all this from him. I, I'm going to worship him. You know, <clears throat> if I was writing checks this morning, and um, <clears throat> I, 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 on the way out, instead of shaking your hand, I was giving out checks for 10000 with your name on them, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Could, couldn't, couldn't you handle a check for 10000 today? I certainly could, right? It's never going to happen, though, folks. So don't, don't worry about it, right? There's not a chance. There's not, uh, definitely not that money in my bank account. and uh, <clears throat> Very little likelihood that it ever will happen, all right? But anyway, uh, but would say I was. You'd be very grateful, wouldn't you? I mean, some of you would be so grateful. You, you know, you, you, you'd phone me. Some of you would phone me in tears later on and say, listen, thank you. You'll never know the need I had in my life and the, that, the, that, the, that 10,000 uh, euros has met. You, you, you'll never know what you've done. Some of you would be absolutely, you would be overjoyed with what I had done. You know what? Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. Jesus Christ provided for our righteousness. He provides for everything that we need in life. The natural response is love and gratitude. That's the natural response. Two problems for us. First of all, we can be ungrateful. But I think a bigger problem for us is we don't know what we've got. 
If I gave you a check for 10,000, you'd look at the figures, the numbers, you'd add them up very quickly in your mind. You'd, I have got. This is going to pay this bill and that bill and change the car. And, you, know, you, you would look at those things and you would say, I know what I've got. But we don't know what we've got in salvation. We don't know what it is that God has given us. Oh, listen, in the first flushes of salvation, do you remember? You'd wake up in the, in the morning, I'm going to heaven. If I die today, I'm going to heaven. And, and your heart would lift on the thought, I'm going to heaven. When it's all over, I'm going to heaven. Whatever happens between here, between here and there doesn't really matter all that much because I'm going to heaven. Right? And there was joy and there was rejoicing in our hearts. But then we got used to it. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. And we forget to be grateful. Then we forget His benefits and the blessings of walking with Him. And we forget to worship you know, I wonder how many believers there are that are lying in their beds this morning and they were too busy, too tired to come and worship this morning. Isn't that terrible? Where's our gratitude? Where's the heart that says, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me? Listen, <clears throat> but it's not just on a Sunday morning that we worship, it's every day. We give thanks. Every day. <clears throat> and then something bad happens in our lives. Or something we consider to be bad. And we react all over the place with God. Get all bent out of shape with God. How could you do this to me? I think Job's answer to his wife is really interesting. <clears throat> uh, he says this to her. He says, Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? Is it okay that God, we're going to be happy when God does good things in our lives and we're not allowed, we, He's not allowed to do anything that we consider to be bad? You know, listen, if we understand what we've got in salvation and what He's given us, you know what? He's not going to take anything off you that nearly equals that. If He took everything in a day like He did for Job, it doesn't equal your salvation. We don't know what we've got. He sent us Holy Spirit to indwell us. You know, we talked in, uh, when we were singing, we, 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 we talked about His presence. Um, his hand of mercy, His voice of cheer. And just the time I need Him, He's always near. We don't know what we've got. That's kind of home. Listen, if we understand, if, we, if, if we've experienced God's free grace, then it's just natural for us to love and be grateful. And to worship. We, what we need to do is we need to rehearse what He's done in our lives regularly. That's what giving thanks does, by the way. That's what being thankful does. Keep a thankful record. Keep a record of all the things that you're thankful for in your life. Put salvation at the top of the list. And give thanks regularly. You'll find it has an incredible effect upon your life. I'll tell you what's really helpful for you. Sometimes put the prayer list aside completely. Lord, I need this and I need that. Lord, would you do this and Lord, would you help that one? Put the, put the prayer list aside completely. And just devote your prayer time to thanking Him. It's amazing what happens in your heart. You realize, what am I so miserable about? Look at all that I've got. We need to be thankful, we need to have gratitude, and we need to worship Him. But then thirdly, <clears throat> since God provides for what He demands, 
then we have no excuse not to walk with him in holiness. God wants holiness. Be ye holy, even as your Father which is in heaven is holy. That's not, you know, <clears throat> some standard that's being forced on the church in this day and age. No, no, that, that's, that's the Bible. Old and New Testament, that's the Bible. God wants His children to be holy. Now, <clears throat> since we don't know what He's given us, very often <clears throat> uh, we don't feel any responsibility to be holy. And since we don't understand the economy, what God demands He has provided for, very often what happens is, we don't think it's possible for us to be holy. We don't think it's possible for us to live right in a sin-cursed world. Now, I realize you're living in a sin-cursed world with a twisted economy that everything is going in a different direction. And you're trying to reconcile Christianity with that sin-cursed world. And I realize it's difficult. I realize it's not an easy thing to do. I realize, you know, that you face decisions and so on... <clears throat> that are hard. But, but here's what you've got to remember. Whatever the Holy Spirit demands of you in any occasion, He will provide for. Whatever He demands, He will provide for. Don't look at the situation and say, well, I know that God, that's what God wants, but you know what, I, I can't do that. That's not true. Because whatever the Holy Spirit demands of you, He's always going to provide for. He's always going to meet the need of. <clears throat> you know, uh, some of you are in business, and you live in, you, you live in a financial world that is just skewed. I remember <clears throat> the backhanders and so on that went on in business. There were certain customers that, that would not buy from me unless I gave them 10%. Now, for a Christian, that's not right. You don't need to be giving backhanders in your business. But you say, hang on a minute, Pastor. That's okay for you to say, but I'm, I'm actually the one out there doing it. Well, if you're the one out there doing it and you're doing it and the Holy Spirit is saying no to you, you know what you're doing? You're going against Him. That's, that's not right. That's unholy. That's Him. Well, what do you need to do? You need to trust that He will provide for you. He will take care of you. That you do what the Holy Spirit wants you to do, and He is going to take care of the need. You say, listen, Pastor, this is, this is the 21st century. These are people that don't know God and don't care about God. If I do what you're saying to do, I'm, I'm going to go broke. I'm going to go bust. No, you're not. Do what God would have you to do. And you will find that He will provide for you. He will take care of you. You know what happens when you don't? You end up with all this noise in your soul that we're talking about on a, on a Wednesday night. You end up with a guilty conscience. You end up with all kind of friction in your life because you're trying to work it out and make it happen yourself. You end up bending the rules and, you know, <clears throat> uh, uh, taking all kinds of things and going your own way and doing your taxes your own way and, you know, uh, trying to get out of your vat and all the rest of it. And you know what happens? You end up with all kinds of noise in your soul because you're handling it. When God says, no, do it my way, I'll take care of it. I will look after you. I will take care of it. I will meet the need in your life because he always meets the need in your life. Right? When he tells you to do something, he always meets the need in your life. <clears throat> what about morally? We live, <clears throat> we live in, a, in a world where morality has kind of gone out the door. I read, read an article this week, and I thought, that, I thought the, the, the title of it was fascinating. <clears throat> it was called Sexual Atheism in the church. And what, what it meant was, as far as morality was concerned, the church was living like 
There was nothing in the Bible about morality. The church was just doing whatever the church does, and that's just uh, the way it is, and it's fine. You know, now the problem with that is, how can you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And what we've got to do is we've got to kind of do a disconnect in our minds. Is it possible for you to live pure in the 21st century in spite of all that's going on around you and in spite of all that's expected of you? Yes. <clears throat> but not if you won't do it. If you won't do it, you're going to find, you know, it's not possible for me. But if you will do it, you will find it is very possible that God can enable you. You know, when we take this, aren't you glad that it was written in black, black and white? And some of you are saying that there are red parts as well. In a sense, that the red parts are a distraction because they're all his word. I find them helpful too, but it's all his word, right? Listen, it was written in black and white so that we could know what to do. And you know, you don't have it from the pastor's mouth because, you know what, my mouth might not just be perfect all the time, but the black and white is. And you've got a Bible in your hand. You've got a Bible in your home. You've got a Bible you can take and you can read. And there are passages dealing with morality. Just look at them. And you don't need anyone to interpret for you. The Holy Spirit will convict you right quickly what's moral and what's not moral. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Just read that chapter alone. You'll find what's moral and what's immoral in it. And then just do it. And expect that the Lord will provide for you. You say, but I'll never have a relationship. You'll never have the wrong kind of relationship, but you will have the right kind of relationships. Because the Spirit of God will provide for you. Just do what He wants you to do. <clears throat> and listen, right across the board in every area of your life, when the Word says it, do it. Don't reinvent it. Don't, 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 don't look at the Word and say, that's impossible, you can't do that. Take the Word and apply the Word in your life and you'll find it works. It works. Because God provides for what He demands. You see, <clears throat> here's the thing. You can go out there and you can live your own way and you can have what the world calls happiness. And your heart will be empty and your soul lean. And the presence of God will be far from you. That's not right. That's not what you want. You never benefit from doing it your own way. Never. You need to trust God with it. <clears throat> God, God asked some hard thing of you. you know, if, I, if, we were to, if we were to ask any of you that have walked with God for any length of time, has God ever asked a hard thing of you? You know what? The, the hands would go up. And for some of you, tears would come in the eyes. God's in the business of asking hard things of his people. Listen, <clears throat> we looked at Abraham. God, God asking Abraham <clears throat> to offer Isaac. And I recognize that Abraham was far advanced in his walk before God asked that of him. And that's the way God does it. But you know what? God knows exactly how to put his finger on you and say, <clears throat> this is what I want. And in our, in our cold, carnal hearts, we will say, I can't give that. I can't give that. that. That would destroy me. That would be the end. I can't give that. But you know what we find when we give it? God provides. He always does. God provides. God always takes care of what He demands of us. Always. He supplies the need. Always. That's who He is. 
He is able to make all grace abound towards you, so that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may be able to do all that He wants you to do. He's able to do it. You know what it comes down to? It comes down to pure, basic faith. Is God God? Yes, He is. Do I need Him? Desperately. Then will He take care of me as I obey Him? Of course. And when I come to those decisions and lock them in in my soul, some of you struggle because you've never locked them in. Some of you struggle because you know you say, well, that's what the church says. Yeah, and by the way, isn't it interesting when you put a buffer between you and the Bible and you call it the church? Or the pastor? That's a nice buffer, isn't it? You know, you got a nice. No, this, look at the word for yourself. Right? Look at the word for yourself. Take what the word says at face value. Right? Don't play with it. And lock it down in your soul. If that's what God says, then that's what I'm doing. God help me. Do that one. Lock it down in your soul and decide that you're going to obey. What you're going to find is you're going to find His provision. You're going to find grace. You're going to find. You're going to enter into a whole different economy in your life. You're going to find God to be real because He's very real. And all those other poor religions are following people that are long dead and buried, and they go and worship at their tombs. Do you know what you're going to find? You're going to find Jesus walks with you today. You're going to find that He walks with you this week. You're going to find His hand upon you. You're going to find it's real. But you know what we got to do? we got to come to the place where we reckon. Okay, since God is God and I'm not. And He doesn't need me, but I desperately need Him. <clears throat> and all that He asks of me, He supplies. I am going to obey. And when I obey, I am going to unleash the power of God in my life. In salvation, if you have not been saved, let me tell you, the greatest experience of your life is... A, it hasn't happened yet. You say, when you talk experience, what do you mean? Well, <clears throat> it's different for everybody. But you know what the core of it is? You'll be saved and on your way to heaven. And you'll know it. You'll know it. Won't be somebody convincing you. You'll know it because the Spirit bears witness with His Spirit, with our spirits. Listen, <clears throat> you can be saved this morning and you can know it if you'll receive what he's done for you. And you can walk with him. You can know his presence and walk with him day by day. Listen, I don't care how hard it looks. I don't care how impossible it looks. If you'll just say yes, he will provide what you need and it becomes real. And that's what we need. We need some real Christians. Some real Christians walking in the power of the Spirit of God, obeying Him in a dark day. And the glorious thing about a dark day is, you know what? When you put a, when you put a light in a very dark place, it shines all the brighter. You can shine really bright in this age. What we need to do is just accept He's God, I'm not. I desperately need Him, though He doesn't need me. And He's going to provide everything I need to do what He wants me to do. So I'm going to do it. And what we find in our lives is we find in our lives we have engaged with God. 
and we can walk with him and know his presence and his power. Let's stand for a moment. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your people. We thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, we do pray now, Lord, that you would take your word and that you would go deep in hearts and lives. Lord, I'm sure there are people in this room who look at your word and they long to obey it, but, Lord, that's not what they do. And I'm sure there are people here who are not saved and need to be saved. And, oh, Lord, I'm sure that there are people who are facing decisions, hard things that they're facing, and, Lord, they're... They're holding back. They're not giving in because they're not sure they can do it. Oh, blessed Spirit, would you convince each one that what you demand, you supply. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.